Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. No Block, No Rock, episode 23. Michael, Javi's is offering what? Uh, Javi's Tacos. There's two locations here in Omaha, one in Lakeside Plaza, the other on 180th and Q. Today I'm going to tell you about their nachos. Their nachos, you get to choose your protein and all the toppings you want on their cold bar. So if you like nachos, go ahead and into Javi's and give it a try. Another special guest for you guys. Oh my gosh, another Just- one? It's just relentless. It's like a revolving door. We just NBNR just pulls in the guests week after week, and you guys all just get to enjoy it. Absolutely. We get to enjoy it more though, because we get to sit with them and talk with them. So yeah. It's specifically, this one was juicy, juicy interview. You're gonna want to like put your seatbelts on and just strap in for a long and wonderful behind-the-scenes look at the, the football program. Uh, and Jared, who was our special guest? The juicy nugs were provided by former offensive lineman Tanner Farmer, who provided, like you said, some just great insight into his playing career. Uh, he talked about some wrestling things that I think will tie in with the football program. So without further ado, let's cut to the interview. We want to welcome former Nebraska offensive lineman, uh, hopeful Olympian Tanner Farmer, Thank you for taking the time out to join us on the No Block No Rock podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. Um, I'll just start off with, you know, kind of a a relevant question to Nebraska football right now. It was just announced that the athletic department's going to be offering mini ticket plans for fans. Um, You can choose any any of the five home games to go to for $195. Um, And there's a lot of fans that are kind of – Freaking out, like kind of worried. Does this mean the end of a sellout streak? Um, is is the fan interest level kind of low? Um, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on this new plan. Does it? Are we making more out of it? And maybe just your thoughts on the sellout streak in general, because that's one of the big Nebraska selling points. Oh yeah, it's one of the huge selling points for me was every game. You know, you're going to have sold out crowd, and let me tell you what. Out of every stadium I played at, University of Nebraska was the best atmosphere to be in. Uh, deafening on the field whenever you make a big play. Uh, the best fans there are. And, but I don't know exactly what their play is with this. Uh, I know for a lot of times I talked to fans and they were having a hard time getting a hold of tickets because so many tickets are stuck in like this family of lineages being passed down yeah. Yeah. in yeah. the family. And uh, they're like, oh, if only I could get a hold of tickets. So maybe this is uh, 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 kind of a ploy for them to get more people exposed to the opportunity for tickets. Uh, that could be, especially people that are way out there on the other side of Nebraska, you know, still huge fans, but they have to drive, what, four or five hours just to get out here. And this is kind of a incentivizes them to uh, experience, to have the experience as well. Yeah, and I would imagine that uh, there's probably still some concern that even though, like, Usually it'd be sold out 
even now, like with COVID, I'm sure people are still sketched out. They don't want to be in big crowds, stuff like that. So I bet they're like trying to put out this package, like, you know, here, it's like cheap, you know, like still come out. Like, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they're, are they going to have like restricted, I know, what was it, at the soccer games in, over in Europe, they, they would have like 90,000 seaters, but they could only have like 50 or 60,000. No, they, they just announced yeah. 100%. This week, 100%. 100% capacity in Memorial Stadium. Yeah. So. Well, I. I think Nebraska fans, uh, they're still going to come out. I don't think it's going to worry them too much. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and they usually use the spring game uh, for that reason of, you know, those fans that are across the state that don't get the opportunity to go to games a lot because 90% of the stadium is season ticket holders. So the fact that they are doing this three-game package deal, like I think this is a great opportunity for those fans because the spring game wasn't, even though we didn't sell it out anyways, um, it wasn't full capacity. The heat of COVID was kind of just ending so maybe that's what this three-game ticket thing is, but I don't know. And just a correction, it's not five, it's six. Six. So yes. Six. Yeah. yeah. Ohio State being the, the one game that's not available because... Was Michigan on there, too? Yeah, Michigan's on there. Wow. Yeah, yeah I'm not surprised. that Ohio State, that's a, it's always a special game. That was a, my, one of my favorite games I ever had. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a little more about that, but Mike... Yeah. Okay. So let's let's move into and we've asked the last couple of guests we've had about this. It's brand new name, image, and likeness. Let's get Tanner Farmer's opinion on name, image, and likeness. Do you wish you had it when you were playing? And do you think it's a good thing for college athletics in general? I most certainly wish I had it whenever I played. I can't tell you how many meals I turned down because uh, I couldn't accept them at the time. But uh, it's with, with the evolution of social media today, anybody can be famous overnight. Anybody can create a business just off of their name and their image. And the rules of the NCAA were put in place to make sure we didn't have these unfair advantages. And this exposure that we got through football was an unfair advantage. Uh, so now it's, let's make it fair again. Because everybody, the normal student has an unfair advantage over us now. Right. Since we can't benefit off of it, but they can and um, it was it was only a matter of time, and it's just evolved to this point now where you can literally become a millionaire overnight if you make the right video at the right time. So they had to do it. Yes, I wish they would have done it whenever I was in college, but oh well, uh, it happens. Well, who would be your like ideal company you'd want to sponsor you or you'd want to run the milk? Right? Milk. Milk. I, milk, I, milk. I drank a gallon of milk a day at least. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> Holy I, shit. I've been drinking a gallon of milk a day since I was like 10 years old. So if there's any milk companies out there that want to sponsor me, please come <laughs> at me. I can't tell you how much money I put into it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be a big break on my wallet. It would help me out a lot. I, I, I need it. But, right. uh, Highland Highland uh, Dairy here in Omaha. Right. Uh, if you need a sponsor, Tanner Farmer's your guy. Right. <laughs> it might see him on your next carton of milk. Yeah. yeah. Well, well hopefully that. not. That means he's lost, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just a big milk mustache. Yeah. All right. That's Looking awesome. like Rulon Gardner out here. Yeah, he actually did that. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, whenever he won the Olympics, he was he was sponsored by milk. So. Heck yeah. Yeah. Maybe you think it, you're the next Rulon? Uh, no. I, <laughs> I, I don't want to have to cut that much weight just to make weight, but uh, no, I, I'm hoping I can uh, be hopefully even better. I want to be uh, the, the American Alexander Krellin or the Lopez, uh, which Lopez is a Cuban heavyweight right now, and he's this is his fourth Olympics, and he's won the past three. 
Wow. So if he wins this next one, he'll have more, you know, gold medals than any other heavyweight in history. I think. Wow. Maybe any wrestler in history. I'm not quite sure. And it's all due to milk. I'm sure he drinks a lot of milk. <laughs> you, know, you know, those Cubans, I, I bet you they love their milk. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. So, since you're on the topic of wrestling, and we're going to ask this a little bit later, but let's just roll into it now. Can you tell the listeners what you're doing now? Uh, it sounded like you were wrestling at Concordia after your time here at Nebraska. Can you just kind of go into your your path and your journey and where you're at now? Yeah, uh, so after football didn't work out, I started uh, coaching football at Concordia University, working with Patrick Dabakow and the Bulldogs. Uh, great staff, uh, great college. And I, I learned that I had a semester left of eligibility in wrestling. And I talked to Coach Calhoun, and he wa- he was all gung-ho for me to come join. And I, I said, might as well start my master's. So mm-hmm. I'm working on my master's right now. And um, so I joined. And I got second at the Nationals that year, and some of the coaches, uh, Coach Mayab, who was one of the Olympic coaches for the Greco team, said, hey, you're not too bad at this. You may want to come uh, try training uh, for Greco to see if you go to the Olympics. And so then I uh, eventually moved back home uh, just because I didn't have the opportunity to train Greco here in Nebraska. University of Nebraska wrestling team, great program, and they have a great RTC, but they don't, they're more focused on freestyle, uh, not Greco. And uh, I felt like Greco was the form of wrestling that I could make the biggest difference the fastest in, considering how close it is to being an offensive lineman. Right. And uh, so I moved back home, and I actually lived with my parents for a few months, and I found a position at the University of Illinois Regional Training Center. Uh, Brian Medlin's the head coach, and he said I could start training with them and uh, their heavyweight uh, West Cathcart. So I would drive two and a half hours, four to five times a week, up to Champaign-Urbana, and I would go train with them. And uh, and just kind of hoping to earn a spot because I haven't proven myself in wrestling at all. Right. All these guys that are part of the regional training program and are on stipends, they've proven themselves in some way or another. They had like qualified for the Olympic trials. Me, I'm just a big body that used to play football that I think I can make a difference. And uh, I started doing fairly decent and I went to the U.S. Open. I got fourth. Um, and then uh, they decided, you know, maybe this guy is worth to bring on stipend. So I was put on stipend. I moved up to Champaign-Urbana. I made it to the Olympic trials. I uh, didn't perform the best. I, I ended up uh, tearing my labrum in my second match, and I got knocked out of the trials. And uh, and you know I lost to some. Those guys are great wrestlers, but I feel very confident in myself and where I've come since then. And uh, I, I plan on uh, being the guy for America for the foreseeable future. Until Hell my yeah. body won't let me anymore. So. Right, right. So what what kind of like rehab and stuff have you been going through for? So, yeah, I, I got it checked out by some doctors. They said it was just partially torn, nothing complete. So with rehab, I should be, you know, they said you should be able to come back. And they said, no, I'll take it easy at first. So uh, the week after I got injured, I was doing CrossFit with my brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, take it easy. Yeah. Here, yeah. So it was pretty much if, it, as long as I could bear the pain, I, I, I would do it. And I just I push it every day. Every day I do band exercises, I stretch, and it, it's come along great. I don't have any issues with it anymore. It's just as strong as it was before. I'm benching well over 300 pounds for reps again, so I, I feel feel great. Yeah. Good. Sounds like it. Yeah, so, and to bring up, like, the benching and stuff, so your pro day numbers were pretty freaking good yeah. uh, there in Nebraska. <laughs> so I've always, you know, we've talked about it a little bit um, in the past and just trying to get noticed and things like that for the NFL. And, I, you know, personally, I thought 
I thought you performed well enough to, um, you know, to, to get a little further than you did. Yeah, I thought I did too. After I had my pro day, um, I'm, I'm thinking, hey, here, here I go. I had the best broad jump in the nation. I had, you know, yeah. up there with the top verticals, bench. Even my, my 40 wasn't bad. I ran like a five flat 40. Yeah. My shuttle wasn't the best, but that happens. A slip and fall, and you just you don't happen to do the best. Right. And, uh, but I was, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to separate me apart, even though I didn't get invited to the combine with the limited game film I had at center because, you know, I only paid, what was it, like seven or eight games at center. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, even though I have limited film in that position, I've shown that I can play, you know, guard and center, and I'm putting up these numbers that show that I am an athlete and I can yeah. adapt. The team's got to pick me up. Right. And on the day of the draft, I'm sitting there. We had like a little draft party back at home with friends and family. And uh name just never got to called. And then I got a call from my agent. And he's like, oh, we'll, tr- we'll try to get you, a, you know, a free agency deal. And then that didn't happen. And you, know, you have to go to these mini camps. And then I went uh, to mini camps with the Colts and the Texans. And I had great camps, but the contract just never came. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're, you were telling us before we were recording, you know, a little wrestling story while, while your time at Nebraska. If you could just kind of tell the listeners how you, how you got involved with the wrestling program while playing football. So my first year and some change at Nebraska, I uh, I put on more than the freshman twenty, so to speak. I put on a whole bunch <laughs> of weight. I was uh, had you know get to experience that freedom for the first time. So I was going out and partying a lot more than I should have and. I had gotten up to 340-plus pounds, close to 350. And uh, so I was on the scout team freshman year under Bo Pelini, and then he got ousted pretty quick, unfortunately. And then they brought in Mike Riley, and, uh, you know, it just kind of kept on partying, and I didn't, you know, make the change that I needed. And then eventually I was brought into uh, the offensive line coach's office, Mike Cavanaugh, and he said, Tanner, you're not getting on board. He says, you're fat, you're out of shape, and... He says, you may want to look into transferring somewhere else. And it was it was kind of a big shock for me. And I said, you know what? No, I'm, I said, I, I, I want to be the guy. This is where I belong. And he says, well, if you're going to do that, you're going to, you're going to have to change things a lot. And I said, well, let me join the wrestling team. I said, I, I know that if I join the wrestling team, I can lose a lot of weight. My senior year of high school, I was 315 pounds in the football season, got down to 285 pounds in two and a half weeks. Holy, Holy shit. Guys, like, I know that if I... I'm a part of a wrestling team. I will lose weight. I will right. get in shape. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't think. I was like, I promise you, you just let me do this. I'll be the guy next year. Yeah. So then I joined the wrestling team, and I, I was working with, uh, you know, uh, Colin Jensen. And I went from 340-plus to 285 pounds in two months and some change. And I was, you know, eating super healthy, exercising. I would go lift with football. I would do football conditioning. And then I would go to wrestling practices every day, too. Holy shit. So I was just working out like a madman. No free time. And, yeah, by the end of spring ball, I was the guy. I'd gotten in great shape. And, you know, it's kind of crazy. Wrestling shape is completely different from football shape. Mm -hmm. I went from being one of the last guys in sprints to the first guy every time. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Damn. Well, I think that helps on you. Lose a little bit of weight. And, yeah, you lose a little weight. And you got some good pound on you now. Like, it's mm-hmm. just straight muscle yeah. versus fat. And So so did the wrestling team know you at all? Like, coming out of high school? Like, did they talk to you or anything? So, yeah, um, the wrestling team did. So, I kind of shut off my recruiting from wrestling. But I was I was top five guy in the nation in wrestling my senior year. Um, there were a lot of schools that wanted me to come wrestle for them. But 
football is always a full ride scholarship mm-hmm. at the Division One level. Where wrestling is, I think they get like thirteen, thirteen and some change uh, scholarships to work with for an entire team. So very wow. few guys are going to be full ride, and if they are, it's partial academic usually. Um, so I chose to go to football. So anybody that would call me for wrestling, I would just be like, "No, nah, I'm not interested." Yeah. And uh, and I I think they may have reached out to me, but I they definitely knew about me. I remember he, uh, Mark Manning telling me about it, and he was he was excited to get me into the room. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Right on. Okay, so you mentioned that you did play for three coaches in your playing career at Nebraska. So. As an offensive lineman, was there different philosophies from coach to coach, from the Polini to the Riley to the Frost staff? Was was the I mean, with the change of offense from Polini, that's kind of like a spread to Mike Riley, which is more pro style spreadish, and then now fast paced Frost. What were the changes and differences between the philosophies as an offensive lineman? So what I remember from Polini's staff, which I, I know I mentioned earlier, I was doing a little party, so I. I I don't even really think I learned the playbook that much. I was just a scout guy. But, um, yeah, they were more of just go out there and be be a dog. You know what I mean? Obviously, technique was important for them. But their emphasis was on just being the baddest guys out there and uh, taking that kind of attitude and everything that you did. And then under Riley's staff, it was all technique. Technique, technique, technique. Like finesse kind of? Yeah. Or, I don't want to say, like, wimpy, but just finesse focusing on... Yeah, you, you want to be perfect. And then, you know, like the your attitude kind of came in as an afterthought. And mm-hmm. and then I also remember under Pelini's staff, he treated his guys like a family. Yeah, he may, you know, tear, rag you out, freaking yell at you, but uh, he loved you. And at his uh, at the press conference, you know, if we had a bad game, it was my fault. We, you know, I didn't prepare the team well enough. Right. Where uh, Riley's staff, I didn't feel that, that family feeling. Really? At all, really. And it was uh, it, it was more of a, a business aspect, which I guess you could expect from somebody that had the experience in the pros, where it is just strictly a business. And you're not right. going to really find many teams that have that family feeling. But it's my personal feeling that at the college level, you need to treat it like a family. You got you don't have a lot of men. You have young boys that you're turning into men. Right. And you need a family to turn somebody into a good young man. Right. And to keep them from going astray, you need to make sure that they feel comfortable around you. Exactly. Right. So under that Riley staff, I know, and Brandon has confirmed this as well, or I guess denied the rumors, but the rumors of you guys weren't squatting and stuff. Obviously, it sounds like you were doing two workouts a day. So were you guys squatting under the Riley staff? Were the workouts different? Uh, I mean, obviously, it didn't sound like you did a lot in the weight room on in the Polini staff, maybe partying a little too much. But uh, can you talk about the weight room changes from staff to staff as well? Um, so yeah, I remember Dobson uh, with Polini. He was very strict, and he wanted you to slowly build into your weight program. Uh, Mike Riley's staff is very similar uh, with Mark Phillip and uh, Cleet McLeod. They're both great strength coaches. They're also great strength coaches, uh, but they t- perfect technique whenever you're lifting. And it was a lot of, like, explosive cleans and snatches. And then a lot of our squatting with Riley staff was actually front squat. Right. So we actually, you know, we went fairly heavy heavy in front squat. I remember at one point I was front squatting over 500 pounds. But, you know, you know, it wasn't like the back squat. Zach Duvall freaking go crazy. Like, yeah. like I, I love Zach Duvall's strength training is like yes technique's important important but let's go in there and let's be some meatheads let's right. move some weight right and i love that 
And, you know, sometimes you may hurt yourself if you don't have good form, but you know, they do a good job of making sure that our form is good enough. Good enough, yeah. yeah. Good enough. Yeah. You Some wiggle you. room. Yeah. yeah, there's a little wiggle room. Okay, maybe you didn't break parallel, but you kissed it with your ass. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, I'd, I had good experiences with every staff, but by far, uh, Frost staff, best experience I had. Really? By far. Um, and I think with the Polini staff, I just didn't give myself the opportunity to experience it. Right. right. But uh, uh, but yeah, Frost. It was that was that last year was something special. Even if we didn't win very many games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I like I remember it was like a press conference right before fall camp, and you're like, you know, I'm not into winning uh, Big Ten championships. I'm in there for the championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, starting off the season, you know, you guys, you guys, you're watching. Uh, Adrian Martinez, you know, just going crazy all year. What was, I guess, what was, you know, going into it, Frost comes in and he's like, you know, we're going to come in and we're going to turn it right, turn it around right away. Like, what was his message to you coming in to the program? Well, one of the biggest things that he preached was don't be afraid to fail. You, you know, a lot of guys, they make their biggest mistakes whenever they're afraid that they're going to make that mistake. And then yeah. they make it. Right, it's in your mind and get stuck in there, and then you do it. It's a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um, he he told us that, and you know, he just you know tell us to play his heart out. He's, he says, "I'm going to give everything in the coaching." He says, "I expect you to give everything to playing, being the best player you can be." He goes, "I'm going to be the best, be the best man, be the best coach that I can be for you." He's like, "I'll do everything I can for you," and he expected that back from us. And the seniors uh, that year, just we. We took that and we tried to run with it because we were tired of losing. We were we were tired of the football program not being a family like that. You know, yeah. like people really caring about because that's how you get the most out of people. Yeah, is you you get them to care about each other. You, you know, I die I die for my brother, but Joe Schmo, what am I going to do for Joe Schmo? Yeah, you know, and so getting that feeling for each other and and it just he you knew that he cared about you and. Yeah, it's. I thought it was going to be. I thought we were going to win the championship that year. Coming out of training, getting in that weight room, I, I was putting up stupid numbers in the weight room that I'd never done anything close to before. And you know, I saw the guys around me, and I was like, "Oh, this is the best we've ever been." Right. <laughs> and you know, there were years that we did fairly well, where we may have won like nine games that season. And I looked around, and I was like, "I'm kind of surprised that we won nine games this year." Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> You know, because you just weren't you weren't impressed with uh, what, what the guy. What maybe you know, I wasn't necessarily as impressed with what I was doing or the guys around me. Like we just weren't putting out as much work. And then Riley's staff, I was like, "There's not a damn team out there working harder than us right now." It's like I know this. Yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of it was coach run, but then player run. Like I said, we were tired of losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of great leaders my senior year, and it wasn't just the captains. We had leaders all the way throughout that were holding guys accountable. They'd show up early. Showing up hour early to, you know, uh, run up like player-led punishments or something like that. You know, like if you don't do what you're supposed to do, we're, you know, as players, we're going to make you run. Uh, if you don't, you know, if you're late to class, if you're missing practices, if stuff like that, we'll kick your ass out of the way, uh, locker room. Um, you know, we don't care. And it's like this is a family. You either buy in or move out. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I was complete confident. I was 100% sure whenever I said that that we were going to win the championship. But then... 
you know, life doesn't always play out like you expect it to. Right. I, well, and the first game of the year being canceled certainly doesn't help. Your tune-up game no, definitely that, doesn't help. That was that was huge. I remember we, we got out there, you know, they kicked off to us. We get out there, we're on the field, and we oh, we were just oozing confidence. I, I just felt it from all the teammates. And I looked across, you know, at the, at the other players, and you could see that they were scared. They knew it was coming. Right. We were about to lay it down. We right. just felt it in the air. And then that lightning strike, and you're oh. like, gosh, damn. Well, you know, it was just, it was a tease. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, the next, you know, it, it kind of teased us. And then, um, you know, we come back the next week, and uh, it's we just didn't show up uh, quite the same way. We kind of just deflated ourselves. And, you know, we had an okay game, I guess you could say, but we just shot ourselves in the foot in the exact wrong moments. And then, mm-hmm. you know, there was only one game that we lost significantly that year, and that was Michigan. Yeah. They just trounced us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was just a game I just felt like we were just outclassed at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. We just weren't ready for But every other game, I felt like we should have beat the team that we were playing. Yeah, and you, I mean, you, you never looked like you were out of any of the games, mm-hmm. except for Michigan. Yep. All the other ones were real competitive, and that's what everybody wants to see. You, they just want to see you be competitive, whether you win, you lose, as long as you're in it. Nobody gives a shit what really happens, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's just what we're begging for now. Yeah. Uh, and Quality on the field. Yeah. So be competitive. Yeah. So going since we're talking about your senior year, um, and you, it sounds like you guys were kind of, like you were saying, leading that locker room and, and kind of running things through the players in a way, which is I think is a good culture thing. And so there was a lot of stuff in the media, I think, that year about, you know, like setting the culture, getting kind of like the bad eggs out, some of the people that weren't going to buy in. Uh, one guy that comes in mind, maybe you can talk about this, maybe you can't, but like Maurice Washington, for instance, um, I know there was a lot of drama around that. Uh, can you tell us anything about that, being a senior, being a leader on that team, how it was being in that locker room with like Maurice Washington? Uh, yeah, I, I remember I looked at Maurice and I was like, wow, this guy's special. Yeah. He's got athletic talent. Yep. And then I talked to him and I'm like, uh-oh. This oh. Is, oh no! This is this is this isn't gonna be working. I remember at one point I went to Coach Austin. I was like, "That guy's not gonna make it here." He's like, "Oh, we just need to surround him by the right people." I was like, "I, I don't think you understand. I, I've tried. There was I would talk to him and be like, "Hey, man, come on, you gotta go to class." I was like, "Do you need help? Do you need like you're not waking up?" It's like if you're not waking up, I was like, "Do you need people to knock on your door?" I was like, "Do you need like how can I help?" And I went up to him uh, after practice, after he'd been late to practice. And I was like, hey, man, let's sit down and talk about this. I was like, yeah. I said, you're my brother. Let's figure this out. Yeah. And can, can I curse on this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, he, and he says, get the fuck off me. And I was like, whoa. whoa. I was like, whoa. I was like, man. It's like, you just can't talk. I'm, I said, I'm just trying to help you. I was like, don't talk to me like that. Yeah. And he's like, get the fuck out, you know, get the fuck out of my face. Get, and, and then I was like. I you just put it, you know, put my hand on the shoulder pad. I was like, that's not, you know, that's not okay. I'm starting to get pissed. Right. Yeah. Like I'm trying to stay composed. I'm like, I'm trying to treat you well right now. Yeah. But you're acting out of line. Yeah. And then I just put my hand on my shoulder. I didn't really grab him. And then he throws my hand off, grabs me on by the chest, and he goes to punch me. Holy shit! What? And I, uh, hmm. at that point, I bring, I brought him in real close, and it's about to go down. Right. And then you're I, like, dude, you don't have a prayer here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then and then one of the coaches, I think it was Sean Beckton at the time, 
he, he comes in, breaks it up. Like, I think he had seen, like, what was leading up. And as soon as we were about to go, he's like, I got to break this up right now. Yeah. And uh, there was, like, no, there was no repercussions for that. And, you know, for, like, how he's acting up and he's not showing up. And it's because, I think a part of it was because he was just. He was a star. He was just, a, he was a stud. Yeah. Like, I'll give it to him. You're a stud, dude. Like, you're an amazingly gifted athlete. Yeah. But that doesn't mean a lot in society whenever you can't function along with society and, and get the best out of yourself and others. Right. And he just didn't, he didn't care about anybody but himself. And I understand there's going to be people about, out, out there like that. But whenever you're on a team, you have to care about the guy to your left and to your right. Right. And um, unfortunately, like I, I predicted, he's not going to last. And he didn't. Yeah. And I, I tried to tell him, it's like, this guy's just, you, you can see the writing on the wall. And I, I think they hoped. And there may be guys out there something that act like that, that do get it eventually. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't know what it was going to take for him to get it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what he was going to have to go through. Yeah. For the for that lesson to hit home, and I don't know if the lessons that hit home from yet. I don't I don't know where he is or what he does now. Well, yeah. and like I remember at one point, you know, it was like somebody had said something or tweeted at him or something, and he like responded, and he's like, "Y'all ain't gonna fucking change me and all this." And I'm like, "Oh, brother, like, oh, yeah, you're in the wrong place. Like, the, you're yeah. you're you're about to be getting tweeted at all day yeah. long." Like, oh yeah, I remember he's like, he's, "Yeah, you, you don't know me." You're not my fucking dad. Get out of my face. And I was like, I'm not trying to be your dad, man. I'm trying to be your brother. I'm trying to help you. Right. Like, I've been here five years, so I'm trying to show you what you need to do. Yeah. It's like, I've made mistakes, man. I, yeah. It's like, I had my coming to Jesus point, right? I knew whenever I had to make the change. I'm trying to tell you, man, you need to make the change. Yeah. You got the potential. He had the potential to be one of the greatest running backs of all time, in my right. opinion. Oh, yeah. And well, you think back to the glory days. You had Lawrence Phillips, who was another running back that went through his issues. Yep. And... It looked like Coach Osborne kind of, uh, I don't want to say let him skate or anything like that, but you see all the ability and you hear about the off the field issues and it's like, where do you draw the line as a coach? Like, I want to, I want to help him. I want this to be a family, hopefully change mm-hmm. his, his life. But where do you draw the line? You know, it's hard. Yeah. And, and how society has changed today, I think, has made it even harder for coaches um, you know, back in the day, there may be guys that have problems off field. Guys are always going to have problems off field. I can't tell you how many times guys have been mipped or, you know, this, that, and the other yeah. on the teams I've been. Right. But, you know, they're, they're good guys. They make mistakes. But I know back in the day, I've heard stories under Tom Osborne. If a guy acted up or if a guy <laughs> didn't have respect from the players, sometimes they may just beat the crap out of them. Right. Like a brother would. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, your brothers, and it's like your little brother's acting up, and he's stirring up shit, right. you know, with somebody he shouldn't be stirring. You may have to slap him upside the head. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as as guys, I think that sometimes it's necessary for you to be slapped upside the head. God knows I've been slapped upside the head when I needed it to a few times, and sometimes I needed it to, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and now and today, you can't let, like, that position I was in with Maurice Washington. Maybe if the coach would have just let it happen and Maurice Washington would have gotten his ass kicked, maybe he would have learned his lesson. Maybe. Yeah. I can't tell you for sure. Like I said, I, could, I can't imagine what he needed to learn the lesson that he needed to learn. Maybe it was an ass kicking by somebody who you know, wanted what was best for him. Yeah. Um, but you can't do that anymore. Right. Yeah. But, the, but back then, you could. Yeah. yeah. You Probably. know, may, may, maybe, you know he, maybe he did step out of line. But maybe he stepped out of line and two or three offensive linemen Slap them upside the head and say, hey, if you keep on stepping out of line this way, that's hurting the team, 
you know, we're going to either beat the crap out of you or you're going to be off this team. Right. And he, he took the lesson and said, okay. And when uh, you approached Maurice, you, you weren't like no, I was, trying to show him up, like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, no, you're I, like, I, hey, look. I came with nothing but compassion. Right. Right. I, like I said, I look at all my teammates as brothers. Yeah. Right? Like, they are my brothers. Like, we've gone through hell together, right? Trying to get to a point, trying to achieve this common goal together. Right. So, I'm going to treat you with love, you know? But at the same time, like I said, if my brother gets out of the line, I'll knock my brother out if it's what's best for him. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what? It, it, my brother's punched me a few times. Yeah, right. Well, exactly. It's fine. My brother's seven and a half years older than me. You know, he, he kind of had an advantage for a while. Not anymore. Not anymore. But, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's yeah. Like I said, whenever you really care about somebody, in some scenarios, the best thing would be just to put them in line. Right. And, and uh, we can't do that anymore. And on you know on culture. Like Mike said, that was a huge hitting point uh, between like Mike Riley and then when Scott Frost came in. It's like you know we need to develop this. We need to develop this. So I guess what my question is is like, was that a common thing where people weren't getting along with people to the left and their right, or was it kind of like one-off situations, or was it generally like you felt as if a lot of the people were just kind of divided or there for themselves? I think under Mike Riley's staff. You had a lot more of the individuals just out there. I, I don't care about anybody here. I'm just here for me. Right. You know, like I remember there was one guy. He's like, I don't sign autographs. <laughs> because, like, he didn't want his autograph. He wanted his autograph to be worth more whenever he was able to sign autographs and charge for it. And so, like, yeah. Now that he's in yeah, the pros, yeah. he charges for his autograph. Wow. He's like, so he wouldn't sign anybody's autograph. He's like, I'm just here for me. Um, and it's... But then, you know, with Frost staff, you saw a lot of guys leave. Yeah. You remember that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we were starting to weed it out. And that's the thing is you needed a coach that was saying, hey, it's, it's acceptable to, you know, to have this kind of standard yeah. within, our, within our team to push each other to this point. And if guys aren't willing to get along, you know, they can, they can go somewhere else where, you know, where they can get by without working so hard or – they can get by with just caring about themselves. Skipping out on meals, skipping out on class. You like name that. it, yeah. Here, no, we work together. We do everything for each other. Right. And, uh, yeah, there was there was a big change, but unfortunately there's going to be some guys on almost every team that are they're either going to be talented enough or they're going to work just hard enough to kind of stick around. And whenever you have somebody that's as good as, like, Maurice Washington, hate to bring his name up again about this, but he was just so damn good. Yeah. And but he was able to get away with a lot of these things for a while. And then you get other guys that are just coming in, they look up to him. It's like, damn, he's good. Yeah. But he's not doing all these other things that these older guys are saying that we should do. And he's getting away with it. And, and he's, he's getting, getting away with it. And yeah. he's still playing. And he's still he's still getting some yards. Wow, he's like he's still but it's like, yeah, he's he's a freak of nature. Like he's an <laughs> athlete. Like Sorry, buddy, but most of us can't get away with that. Right. Right? Like, we need, most of us need to work like this, work together, work towards this common goal. And we'll be able to achieve something as a team. You may not stand out as an individual mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like this one person that's just godly gifted does. But, you know, if we work together as, as a team, you'll be able to stand out more as individuals. As, you know, if a line blocks really well, Guess what? Your running back looks a lot better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not just the running back. You know, if the receivers run great routes, the quarterback looks a lot better. Yeah. So 
it's better if you work as a team, but you're going to have those guys that just kind of squeeze through and they can have that trickle effect, that domino effect where they start influencing other guys and then it starts spreading. It's like a disease. And you need to try to cut out the disease, but at the same time, you're dealing with kids. Yeah. You know, guys that you're like, yeah, this guy may be a disease for the team right now, but, you know, if we put him in the right position, we could help him and he could help us. Like, we could change his life. We could be the place that changes his life and helps him turn it around and gives him the attitude that he needs to be successful for the rest of his life. Right. And I think that's why coaches should go into it. The coaches shouldn't go into it because they just want to win every trophy. They want to make changes in these young men's life. They want to mold young men into the best possible people that they can be on and off the field. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's going to be some guys that fail you. Yeah. You're going to give everything to them. And you may even sacrifice your team for them. Yeah. But and then they don't change. Well, and I know culture, culture. But... Like I'm, I'm a teacher for a living, and like I see a lot of what you're saying. Like you've got these kids that are kind of troubled, and you want to be a positive influence in their lives, and you, and you go, maybe if I just do this, it'll get them on the right track, and maybe let them skate away with some things. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, just going back to the teacher thing, you have students that look at you as the teacher, and you're not holding that student accountable. And you lose a little bit of respect from your students. Like they, they think that they can start getting away with that stuff. So I don't know if, if that was ever a locker room issue. Like people looked at Frost and talking talking about accountability, but then you have this guy that gets away with things and I don't know it if that was, was ever an issue or uh, whenever I was there, it wasn't. Because us as seniors, like I said, we were bought in and we were very vocal about guys get on the bus and this is he's the guy. Yeah, I, I still believe that Scott Frost is the guy that can turn this around, that can make us a championship team again. Unfortunately, it has not come to fruition yet. Yeah, but I, I believe he has the potential, right? But what is potential unrealized, right? So it's Oof. yeah, right? So disappointing, yeah, exactly. But I, I still have complete faith in the guy, and I. God, would I get, like, some of these guys are getting this extra year. Mm-hmm. What I would have given to get that extra year of eligibility. Yeah. But, um... I thought Adrian would appreciate it, too, huh? Oh, yeah, I, th- I think so. Like, I, <laughs> I love blocking for Adrian. He was great. And whenever he was young, he was so full of, like, he didn't want to mess up. And we're like, don't worry. You're doing great. No, fear of failure, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, team, yeah, you yeah. got it? Yeah, I was like, yeah, like, Frost <laughs> gave us that no fear of failure. And we, like, tried to put that on Adrian. It's like... We may have given Adrian three, four, five seconds in the pocket, and he did, couldn't find somebody, and maybe he didn't run, and you know what I mean, or you know, break out like he should have done, yeah. you know. And we're like, oh, dude, don't worry about it. We'll just give you some more time. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you know, then you know, obviously the quarterback coach is in your ear going, "You gotta throw the ball. You gotta run." You know yeah. what I mean? And your whole line's like, "Dude, it's all right." Just yeah, you're up. fine. You're fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I think him having us. Seniors on the line there to kind of like just kind of chill them out. I think that may have helped them a little bit. I think it kind of took the pressure off. And because, Stanley, yeah. still you know making Stanley, plays out right, there yeah, for right. We had we had Ozigbo in the backfield. Yeah. We had a lot of we had a lot of guys in a lot of different areas that were able to help take pressure off of him. That I think helped him perform more comfortably. Yeah, which I think will happen again this year. I hope so. I, I hope so. Record. I don't know how much you've been following, but Scott's. Uh, put together a pretty good receiving core. I mean, he's got uh, Omar Manning, which is full of potential. I'm, I'm hoping he's not similar to the Maurice Washington situation where 
maybe he gets away with a little bit more um, off the field. But, um, I mean, you got him. You got in uh, Samari Torre that I just brought in. Uh, D2 <coughs> transfer from Montana, uh, All-American in the D2 level, which, I, I mean, I don't think that's uh, an All-American to shake your finger at by any means. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Oliver Martin and a couple other guys in and there. The tight ends. Oh, yeah, and the tight Austin ends. Are just, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. right now – the, the receiving core has transitioned into just large humans. Like, yeah. we have guys that are six-plus feet all the way around Adrian, mm-hmm. and I think, I'm hoping it'll look a little bit like freshman Adrian where they take the pressure off of him like you like you guys maybe did for him. Yeah. No, I, I hope so. And I, it seems to me that the offensive line has really developed too. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against receivers, but – Unless I played with you, I probably don't pay that much attention to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, they're just they're a little different out there. They get away with a little bit more than we do in the center, and they're pretty boys out there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, But, you know, I, I feel really confident in the offensive line that they have and that they're developing. they got some huge dudes, talented guys. And I think what they really need is just a guy in each position to step up and be a leader and just, like I said, calm everything down. Like like we had our senior year. I was lucky, you know, Gerald was our captain, but I felt like I was also another one of those leaders. Even though Gerald was the captain, I was the center. So yeah. I kind of ran the offensive line. Right. So we had two guys on the offensive line that, you know, really just kind of calmed everything down, showed, you know, confidence. And, and then, like you said, we had Stanley, we had uh, Ozigbo, and – that really helps your quarterback out because the quarterbacks he's got the hardest job out there. Hell yeah. He, he needs those guys that have that confidence that calms everybody else down so he can kind of calm down. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And your last eight games of your senior year, you did move to center due to an injury. Um, just kind of talk about that transition from moving to center. What makes center difficult? Uh, right now, Jurgens is our center. And there, there's talk about his snapping abilities and his struggles there. So how hard is snapping? Snapping, <laughs> snapping is so much harder than it looks. I'm sure it is, man. Yeah, people it's are like, people are like, you have one job. Why couldn't you do it? And it's like, oh, yeah. I didn't have one job. You know what I had to do? I had to call out the defense and then make the call for the offensive line. And I also have to make sure that the quarterback and the running back sees my call so they know what they need to do. And then I need to take the proper steps for it while simultaneously snapping a ball between my legs and not looking where it's going. Right. So it's it's a lot harder than it looks. And but you know, just like with anything, enough repetition, you're gonna get decent at it. I right. can't tell you how many times like I'd have a bad snap in the game and oh they, they would get a little you know pissed at me and then that Monday, that Tuesday, that Wednesday, that Thursday, I'm doing fifty hundred snaps after practice, before practice, you know, getting the reps in because a lot it's really hard to the, all these steps that we do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because where people are lined up on us changes how we take steps, and it's literally by inches. And you know what I'm talking about? Like, so if I have a guy right here, it's not that bad. It's just a small step. I'm just right here. Right. But if I have a freaking two-eye that I'm trying to reach on an outside zone, I have to open up. Oh. <laughs> I have to open it's up. Like turf. Yeah, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> if, if, for, for those listening, I just slipped on carpet. <laughs> Uh, you looked like a fool. I did. No. <laughs> Just yeah, like whenever I used to play. <laughs> but, you know, I'm taking these huge steps. And so you have to feel comfortable snapping that ball in every position that you're taking steps. And you have to be able to hit that same spot regardless of the steps you're taking. So I, I feel sympathy for the guy. I mean, at Northwestern, I had an atrocious snap. 
And I got tore up on social media for that. <laughs> you know, oh, I was like, I can't look at social media after that game. I was I all got the myself. gifts on Twitter. Yeah, probably. It, it was horrible. <laughs> and so, like, I feel bad. Like after he, you know, he may make a bad bad snap or two in a game, and then people are tearing it up. Believe me, he feels worse than you do. He already feels like shit, and then you guys are piling it on top, and it, it is it is pretty challenging to do. Yeah. So, I feel for the guy. Now, after a season, you should be able to kind of have it down. By the end of the season, I was pretty confident in my snapping ability. Yeah. And, you know, in the first three to four games, I had some sketchy snaps. Yeah. But after that, I think I was pretty good. I think I may have had one bad snap for the rest of the season. Yeah. And so I was uh, – like I said, I feel for the guy, but I, you know I think he'll get it. He especially just needs to calm down. Especially when you transition from tight end to it's center of all of all positions, you're going to center. Yeah. Like you said, it's all those different responsibilities, making calls. Yep. Yeah. He, he, he has to run. He has to run the offensive line before he's just like, do I have to go on a route or do I block right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I can't. Oh, receivers love receivers, but you know, or I mean, or tight ends, I should say, usually. They're not that good at blocking. But every once in a while you get a good one that's blocking. But, you know, they'll be, hey, I'm supposed to block on this play. What what, what kind of block am I supposed to do? <laughs> Just go up to the tackle and be like, how am I supposed to block this guy right now? So, you know, they usually don't have the strongest blocking core, um, right. you know, the history. So it, that's a huge transition for somebody like Cameron, especially just, just coming in, making yeah. that big transition, coming off of some injuries from high school and then early his freshman year. So – yeah, that's a huge jump. And yeah. now he's also dealing with interior offensive linemen. That's a different game than dealing with DNs. You, instead of dealing with, you know, tall guys that weigh 240 pounds, you're dealing with freaking 320, 330-pound guys. It's right. just a different game in there. Yeah, you're messing with, like, Damian Daniels all day. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, we used to call him Snacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's he's ditched the name now. He, he's kind of ditched the name now, though. He's like, no, no more of that. No, no more, more of that? that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they called him Snacks because he just show up at your place and then just clean out the fridge. Yeah. Just snacking. <laughs> so, so uh, recently, uh, the current offensive line created a Twitter page uh, called The Pipeline. I don't know if you've seen that or not. I haven't. Uh, but did you guys identify as The Pipeline while you were there? or, or I mean, yeah. We most certainly did. Yeah. Uh, we, were, we were proud to be a part of The Pipeline. Um, a lot of people, you know, didn't consider us The Pipeline, which really upset us. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you guys aren't, you're not doing well enough to be considered the pipeline. Right. Oh, did that get on my they, nerves? They say that about the black shirts too. You're not worthy. Yeah, right? yeah, you're right? not worthy. And, uh, but yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's what we call ourselves. I mean, whenever they interest, inter, introduce us on the big board at the, yeah. at the game is yeah. the pipeline. And it was, uh, it, that was something really special to be a part of. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's awesome that they started a Twitter page and, Hopefully they can uh, start generating some special or some uh, skill player money off of that kind right, of stuff. Right, right, <laughs> man. Well, and I like, and the reason I ask is just because, like, you know, it, right now especially, you start branding that, right? And you start like, you you make that like a tradition, like the black shirt. This is the best time to do it right mm-hmm. now. And these guys, it looks like they're kind of taking the initiative to kind of bring you know bring the name back up, uh, you know, a lot more, I guess. No, yeah, I think that's awesome, and, and, and yeah, they definitely should, and. Yeah, that's one of the big reasons why I came here. This is Nebraska. You, yeah. This is where offensive linemen go to be, to be made. Yeah. And uh, you know, it. I, I I did a fairly good job here. Uh, they did a, 
they did a good job, a fairly good job developing me, and uh, and I, I'm really excited to see what the, what they're uh, gonna do with this next generation of guys. I, yeah. So, Tanner Farmer, what is your prediction? What is your definition of a successful season in 2021 for the University of Nebraska? What is my prediction? Uh, I'm an optimist. I say they win it all. Okay. That's 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 how I'm gonna go. Like I said, I have complete faith in Scott Frost. Um, I have complete faith with the guys that you know I played with, and well, now now I didn't even play with really any of them, very few of them. And uh, but you know that you know that they're gonna develop into great young men, and they're gonna be great football players. I say they're gonna win it all. Um, what would I define as a successful season? I mean, generally, you look at nine plus wins as a, success, as a successful season, but we did fire a coach that had yeah, nine wins. Not here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> different times. Different times. So, I would say, um, obviously, eight plus wins would be moving in the right direction. Like I said, I expect the best out of our guys, out of the, out of the staff and the boys. So. Yeah, and I mean. Literally every single person um, that we've brought on here that knows anything about Scott Frost, about when he got here, if they played under him, or whatever the case may be, everybody just keeps saying, like, he is the guy. Just give him time. He's the guy. So, we'll see. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Most well, certainly. And I, I just want to go back to your senior year again. Yes. Now, that was Frost's first year. Starts off 0-6. Close games, galore, heartbreakers mixed in there. But then there was that game at Ohio State that came later that year. And it was 36-31 to 31 final. You, you guys had Husker fans on the freaking edge of their seats. It's no secret that Ohio State's light years of, ahead of Nebraska as a football program. But going into Columbus in 2018, what was it about that game where – you guys kept it so close the whole way through. Was it a, a difference in mindset? Was it an Ohio State thing? Maybe they were overlooking you. What was different about that Ohio State game versus these other Ohio State games where we've been getting blown out, quite frankly? Yeah, I, you know, to go off of what you said, you say they're light years ahead of us. I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't say that. Like, obviously, they, they're in their past 20 years of history. I would agree. Uh, yeah. But as far as what the team could be in the next five years, I, I wouldn't say they're light years ahead of us. Um, I'd say we're right there close behind them. Um, and I think my senior year was kind of like a peek into that. Like that we Fair were enough. right there with them. And yeah. it's just sometimes it's your day, sometimes it's your not, sometimes it's your season. And um, But for that game, I mean, we went in every game with you know the confidence that we're going to go in there and we're going to kick your ass. And especially on the O-line, right? I can't speak as much for the black shirts. Um, I, you know, I can't speak as much for the receivers, although I'm pretty sure they went in there with the same mindset mm-hmm. um, as us. But O-line, all, all we we're going to dominate. We're just going to go kick ass. We're going to give Adrian as much time as he needs. We're going to open up some big assholes for Divine. And, you know, and we're just going to go out there and wreak havoc. And I, we just... We, you know, we started off, you know, with that plan like that and that attitude and things were falling in place. We were making things happen. Adrian was comfortable in the backfield. Devine was running hard. Stanley was getting open, making moves. And, and uh, you know, the defense was doing a pretty good job that day, too. Yeah, I will yeah. say so. 
And, uh, but I just, we were a different team at that point. Like, I remember, I think I remember Urban Meyer, there was like a quote. He's like, that's not a, a two in however what you are. Or that's the best two in team I've seen. Yeah, whatever. exactly. Something right? like that, yeah. Yeah, he, where he's like, he's like, that's not the team that played Michigan. You know, mm-hmm. like, and got blown out. It was like, this is a different team. And, and we were, we had matured. And I think that's a huge part, like I said before, the first game. We had that first game. I think it changes our season. We probably still lose to Michigan, like, similar to what we did. Yeah. But every other game has changed. And, and uh, me personally, I've always hated Ohio State. I, I was, whenever I was growing up, I was taught to hate Ohio State. <laughs> and uh, I think it's because they always put the in front of it. I'm for the Ohio State. <laughs> Shut up. Still do it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I have nothing but respect for their team and, you know, the coaches there. But I, I hate Ohio State. And, and, and that was actually my first game there at Ohio State. And it was that was a pretty cool experience. I would say that their stadium was the closest to the Nebraska experience. Oh, yeah. It didn't match it, but it was close. <laughs> and, but Michigan was it sucked. The, the big house is it, it, the it, big it, house it, is so boring. The it big is. house sucks. It does. It really <laughs> you walk does. in street level. You like go down into a bowl. You can't. There, you can't even hear the crowd. No. I went there. Uh, I think it was like Brady Hoax last season. Nebraska beat them. It was like yeah. sixteen to twelve or some shit. Mm-hmm. Literally crickets the entire time we were there. It yeah. was the most boring place to be. Yeah, it's it's not a fun place to be. But yeah, no, Ohio. That was that was that was a great. That was a great experience. Yeah, I wish we could have come out there with a W, but still is one of the most fun games I ever played in. My mo- my favorite game was actually uh, senior night against Michigan State. Mm-hmm. In the snow. In the snow. snow. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Great game. Yeah, yeah right? Slug, Slugfest. Barrett Pickering with the oh, yeah. with that freaking yeah. pheasant field goal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Flowing through. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was... That was, yeah, like we couldn't get our passing because it was so slick and so windy. And the coldest and game. And they had the, that. like, I think it was they had the best running defense in the nation that year. Mm-hmm. Like, they, mm-hmm. like, they weren't very spectacular. Like, their offense, not great that year. It was pretty right. bad, but yeah, their yeah. defense was fire. Yeah. It was a great defense that year. And, like, yeah, it was just a slugfest. And by the end of the game, we just, we'd worn them down. Yeah. And we were moving their guys, and we were opening up holes, and we were making it work. Yeah. That was such, and, like, just connecting it with baseball. I love like pitching duels, and that was the pitching duel of a football game. Oh yeah, yeah. just 100%. back and forth, hard nosed, uh, freaking guys. Uh, I forgot who it was, but sacking old boy and I hit him, and I thought he was gonna get called for targeting because you know that was a big thing. Uh, still is. Well, still I mean, is. <laughs> the worst penalty in college football. But I'm like, oh, and you force that fumble, and yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that was, was that was a fun game. That was. Beautiful. Yeah, that's those, you know, movie games that, you know, like you see about, like, you want to be a part of, like, just the atmosphere of it, you know, the yeah. great crowd, the snow just made it, even though it was miserably cold. It was cold. so cold. It, I was but, there. Yeah. But the yeah, snow made yeah. that game, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I was so glad that we won that game, because I didn't, like, because I sat and froze my <laughs> ass off. Yeah. So you made it worth it, yeah. so yeah. thank yeah. you. Yeah, no problem, glad I could make it worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So my my la- my final question for you uh, here today, Tanner, is how much weight should we put on comments made during press conferences? Because you seem like a pretty unfiltered dude, right? You don't you, you know you don't beat around the bush. So on a scale of like one to ten, how filtered are those comments after the game? Mm. I would say pretty filtered. 
Yeah. Okay. okay. I guess I, I think I have another story. You may not know about this. Um, I actually got banned from doing interviews for a whole year under Mike Riley's staff because I gave an interview and I said, we're going to kick this team's ass. <laughs> and they were like, sir, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah they, they, like, like, oh, it created a big stir and like they, like they, in or it was against Oregon, and in Oregon they like printed it and put it above their locker room, oh, like like we were gonna be the big game like that year. And, yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's like I feel really confident we're gonna kick their ass. And uh, then after that, it was, Tanner, you're not allowed to talk to the press anymore. <laughs> and so I, they actually put me through some like training where it's like you need to learn how to talk and like yeah. things that you can and can't say. Seriously, <laughs> I knew you. I knew there was like coaching going yeah, on. Yeah, there, oh, there my is. God. They, they they put you through. Like things that you should and shouldn't say. Yeah. Um, they, they have like little seminars they put us through and stuff like that. And oh, kick, yeah. kicking ass was off yes, the list. Yes, kicking ass was yeah, definitely not on the list. Sick. Can't I talk got, down to your opponent. No, you yeah. can't get yourself hyped up for a game. Sportsmanship is the most important thing here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I got banned for a year. And um, and then they finally <laughs> let me back on. And, and then you're like... like we're going to beat this team's ass. Slam <laughs> a couple cold ones together. <laughs> Stone cold. You're back, Tanner. What's one thing you want to say? We're going to kick their ass. Yeah. Uh, that's what I wanted to. But. Yeah, so it's pretty filtered. Okay. It's pretty filtered, Yeah, I would say. Um, yeah, and then you just kind of have to learn. And, but I like how we're going with like the podcast and stuff like that. You yeah. guys are able to talk more unfiltered yeah. without so many repercussions. Like as long as you're speaking your truth. And you're not putting out BS out there and, you know, spreading lies and stuff. It's not as big of an issue. Right. You can just be who you are and you can talk how you want to talk. And, you know, it's a lot more accepting. So maybe coming up, it'll be a little less filtered. But right. you never know. You're, you're reflecting the school directly in those positions. Right. And yeah. the school's got to look good. Yep. And I'll be curious with NIL. It's very loose right now. The NCAA was just kind of like, here you go. Yep. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then with these podcasts, it's like, are the universities going to put in their contracts, like, you can't say you're going to kick someone's ass. That's number one. And it's just like, down the line, I'm curious to see, like, how these contracts are going to be changed. The censorship. Yeah, well, censorship. I'm sure it'll be evolved. Yeah, like, as soon as you sign that dotted line, it used to be you signed your life away. Here's my soul for the next four to five years. But now, you know, this is giving us a little bit of our soul back. And, uh. Yeah, I'm sure you're, you're, that's a great point. They're definitely going to start putting clauses like these are the kind of things that you can't talk about on a public platform. And that may be the deciding factor uh, of where like a lot of guys go. It's like, sure. oh, I want to be able to talk about this. I think this would be better for my image and likeness, and I you know, can further it. Yeah. So they'll go to schools that will allow it. So you'll have schools that will hamstring themselves by putting that kind of stuff in there. Yeah, I'm sure your podcast would have been fire. Yeah. Oh, I would have been, oh, been going off. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, talking every week. Just, oh, you know, after that bad snap, you, it's all you fans. Yeah. <laughs> just leave me the hell alone. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's hard out there, damn it. <laughs> it's it's slippery. It's uh, it's so much the, noise. I can't hear the quarterback. The Northwestern Wildcat call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In that snap, they were doing the call in the middle of the cadence, so I couldn't hear Adrian. And, like, that was something I struggled with Adrian. I, like, throughout the year, because, you know, you would be like, Adrian, you need to speak up. I can't hear shit. Yeah. And uh, especially at away games, they get so loud. So we'd switch to a clap, but they were blaring that so loud in our face that I couldn't even hear the clap. And I think that Gerald heard a clap, and I just – 
just Gerald. didn't hear it. And Gerald like jumped a little bit. And I'm like, fuck, I gotta snap. Right. And then so I snapped and it went between his feet. And then, then I was like, I fucking lost us the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, that wasn't my last question. I have oh, question. no. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, what is, your, what is your preference? Do you like just like calling cadence or, or do you like the snap or, or the clap? Like, what's your preference? My ultimate preference is whenever that you have a, a guard looking back. <laughs> and then the, the quarterback gives a signal and he taps, taps you, you. Uh-huh. and then the center goes, looks, he gives like some sort of signal. So he'll give a signal. He may move his hand. He may look left and right. Then he goes, hut, and then goes. So it's up to me then. Right. Right? So I like that. Um, but, you know, for home games, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. uh, it's, it's not too bad. But away games, yeah, you need something like that. A clap was okay. But you had to clap hard. Like, I remember Adrian was talking about, like, he's like, my hands fucking hurt. They're fucking swollen. He's like, I can't, he's like, I can't like... clap any louder, man. He's like, I gotta throw the damn ball. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think it, it wasn't in Iowa last year oh, that yeah. people were like, well, we heard some suspicious oh, clapping. Sidelines. Iowa sidelines clapping. Do people do that? Do teams, like, if you're using a clapping cadence, does the defenders, do they clap and stuff to try to get you guys to move? Yeah, they'll do whatever they can. They'll talk shit. Like, if they're starting to get your cadence down, they'll try to, you know, say shit in your, you know, try to put stuff in at the right time. Yeah, they're going to do whatever they can to get the edge, yeah. you know, especially against the pipeline because they know that they, they need everything they can get. Right. Hey, there you go. That's a, that's a that. good rap. Yeah. Hey, that's a beautiful rap. Uh, Mr. Farmer... Thank you so much for joining the No Block No Rock podcast. We appreciate you taking the time out. It was a blast. Thank you. And where, where can they find you? Uh, uh, social media. Social anything? media. Uh, Tanner Farmer on Instagram. TR Farmer 73 on Twitter. And yeah, just Tanner Farmer pretty much everywhere else. Heck yeah. Hope you're ready for those flood of followers that are going to come your way. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, if they don't already follow you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, man. Thanks Thank a lot. you. No problem. Thank you, Tanner Farmer, again, for taking the time out. We wish you luck with your wrestling endeavors. I hope the Olympics are in your future. Yeah, I hope he is wrestling for the United States of America. Yes, sir. Um, guys, give us a follow at Twitter, at NBNR Podcast. We are everywhere you get your podcasts. That's Spotify, Google, Apple, iHeartRadio. No matter where you get your podcasts, give us a five-star review. Um, we have... KB over here, Kyle Byers, about to put up our website here pretty shortly. Yeah, um, yeah, it won't be long. Putting in a lot of work on that. We appreciate it. Um, let's sign off, right? This is one of your hosts, Jared Hall. Mike Delaware. And Kyle Byers. And as always, GBR.